0: Welcome to Our Plant Stories. It's a podcast that digs into the stories that plants tell us about people and places. And this week, it is definitely the place that is important. Because this story is about plants that have literally grown and been shaped over decades, even hundreds of years.
1: When all's quiet and there's no more flowers in the garden in the winter, or you go out uh, on a moonlit night, they are... Uh, they're inhabiting the garden and I, I get this feeling of they're, they've, they're living their lives on a much longer <laughs> life cycle than ourselves. Generations of humans have passed scurrying about at their feet uh, and they're there year after year after year.
0: I've said before that these stories emerge from all kinds of places. And if, as you listen to this one, you think you too have a story, then I'll tell you how to contact me at the end. This one came about because, as I sat having a cup of coffee with an old school friend, Alison, she told me about a magical house and garden just near her. We set up a visit, and as we got out of the car and looked across the garden, there was the story. The house is one of the oldest continuously inhabited houses in Britain. It was built around 1130 The house and garden were the setting for the Green Knoll children's books, which were written by Lucy Boston, who bought the house in 1939. She was a gardener, and there's masses of old roses and irises. So I'd like to transport you, too, to a bench in this garden. So
2: I'm Diana Boston and my mother-in-law Lucy Boston bought uh, this house in 1939 and then when she died Peter and I, Peter being her son and I took over and I've been here ever since. She died in 1990 and I have been here ever since just keeping it going really, doing a certain amount of restoration because um, she died at the age of 97 and had probably stopped gardening vigorously when she was 92. So all the vigorous weeds took over and uh, needed quite a lot of restoration. But uh, she was right when she said that one of the good things about this garden is that you can never get it completely tidy So it's always slightly wild. Tell me what we are looking at right now. Well, we're looking at what was really one field. In fact, somewhere I have a picture of sheep in it, uh, when she came here. And she had the courage to plant eight tiny little yew seedlings on either side of the path which cuts the field in two and goes down to the goes from the present front door down to the river and she planted these little yew trees on either side of the path going down to the river with the idea of making topiary Uh, as a child she knew Levens Hall very well and decided she would make topiary And I've got a photograph of them taken in 1943 when they are eight little footballs and then uh, there's a painting in the house uh, done a little bit later uh, just the end of the war, when they are really cones and um, Then, for the Queen's coronation, she decided to do pairs of crowns and pairs of orbs, but one didn't want to be a crown or an orb, it wanted to be a bird, but uh, luckily the Queen was given a dove of peace, a a sceptre with a dove of peace on it. Let me get rid of the dog.
0: The dog is
2: fine, just tell us who the dog is. Oh, the dog in the background is called Burkey. <clears throat> um, uh, Lucy had a dog called Burkey, who was a fox terrier, and he obviously had lovely black satiny ears because um, the widow Iris, Hermodactylus, um, Lucy called it Berkey's ears because its down, down bits are lovely soft black. And so when this puppy arrived with black ears, I called him Berkey and then his ears went brown. So he's now got a silly name
0: <laughs> for no
2: good reason.
0: So there's the there's the one you mentioned that decided it didn't want to be... Same as the rest. Her crown or an orb. uh, It wanted
2: to be a bird, and so luckily the queen was given an old sceptre with the dove of peace on it, so that was able to be a bird. When she first made it, it was standing up on its legs, but now it's got a bit tired and is sitting down as if sitting on the nest. Now
0: these plants take a long time to grow so what state were they in by the time of the coronation?
2: Yes unfortunately I, I haven't got a photograph nobody took a photograph of them for the coronation they obviously couldn't suddenly be changed a lot of people don't know that because they ask us what we're going to change them into this year when we're clipping them but um, she and a young nephew of hers um, cut branches from the big yew trees at the back of the house and tied them up to make them look a bit more like crowns and orbs. But certainly by 1954, so a couple of years after the coronation, um, they looked very beautiful and, and very elegant crowns and orbs, now Like a lot of us, they've got older and broader, and they've got bunions. I think of them as being the coronation women, and they're sort of leaning over looking past the one in the front, and uh, one has a dowager's hump, but (laughs) they, um, they are splendid characters, as well as being rather picturesque.
0: How easy are they to maintain?
2: they are easy enough in that they only need clipping once a year but it's uh, quite hard to clip them hard enough to because they grow I mean they're much bigger since I've been here and I've only been here 33 years Uh, so you can't keep them forever small but otherwise and we do um, they get watered with seaweed early in the year, because, uh, just to give them a bit of
0: oomph. And you yourself have done some of your own topiary in the garden, correct? I haven't made anything, no. So the,
2: the Jesset was Lucy's as well? Oh that was Lucy's as well, no, that was planted fairly soon, um, after she planted the little seedlings for the um, uh, for the coronation pieces. And uh it you grows much faster than people think it does, actually. Um I've got a photograph of them when they're quite little and neat and you look as if you could possibly um play chess with them. In fact, I had um I'm going to host a program here with some then famous gardener, I can't remember who he was and he was going to come do his programme from this garden and the person organising the programme rang me up and I was being, while on the phone to her I was being distracted by something going on in the garden so I wasn't concentrating too hard on what she was saying and she said to me, "Um, can you play with the chess set? and I said, well, I suppose they could play hide and seek around them. And she said, No, play chess. Yeah. So I then had to explain that actually they were firmly rooted into the crowd.
0: <laughs> those are amazing, though. Tell me a little bit about, describe those pieces to me that we can see, the chess pieces. And I will put photographs of this, obviously, on the website. But describe the chess pieces that you've got. We've got um,
2: a represent- representative of each. Piece, the castles, or the rooks—I think they're called—got um, very big, and if we got the wrong sort of snow, the the top um, crenellations or bits with crenellations—it looked then like pieces of cake. Uh, would sort of bend outwards, so we decided they were too big, and they are in the process of being restored. So they were cut right back to the trunk, and the trunk was cut down to being about two feet high, and so they're growing new castles. Um, So we've got two bishops, we've got the king and the queen. I'm not a chess player, so I have to remember that the queen has more balls than the king, which I think is probably fairly appropriate. (laughs) And then we have a couple of pawns, and then the knights. The knights are very difficult and, and people ask us what they are, whether they're squirrels or... Um, but anyway, they, they are knights, but they've got rather big.
0: And when you, yourself, because I know you have also shaped this topiary yourself in your time when you are working in the garden, how difficult is it to do that? I always have a slight fear that one snip and you make a right mess of it. But is that true? Or is it a little bit slower of a process than that? It's, it's okay? Uh, the wrong
2: snip uh, will grow, will come right the next year. It grows quite quickly, unless you cut too much of the green off on a branch. Um, But, no, it's all right, it's like giving somebody a crew cut, really, you just keep your... I uh, always used to do it uh, by hand, and I think I was probably better then at um, getting them packed more tightly, but then I took over doing them with um, an electric, little, small electric hedge trimmer. But as long as you keep the cutting tucked hard in, it's all right. It's not as complicated as you might think it is. A bad haircut grows out in three weeks, while well, a bad chess haircut grows out in
0: a year. When I talked to Diana about who we should find to join the conversation about topiary, she, without hesitation, said Levens Hall, because that is where Lucy got her inspiration. Levens Hall has the world's oldest topiary gardens. It's just south of Kendal in the Lake District in Cumbria. The house dates back to 1170. The head gardener is Chris Crowder, and he's been there for 37 years. Continuity,
1: I think that's the thing we uh, get from topiary gardens. In a way, we get it from all sorts of gardens, but the trees, these clip shapes, um, convey that sense of continuity from one generation to another, whether it be the gardeners, the owners... Or, or, or just people generally. It's that I, I'm most interested or uh, affected by that social history. Uh, you've uh, been working at uh, living and working with these pieces of topia in your garden, and I've done many years here, and uh, we end up passing them on uh, to the next, uh, set of hands and, uh, the next set of hands uh, and the next set of people to clip them. But it's that uh, continuity and and continuity. Continuance of care and uh, cherishing, that's a lovely thing.
2: Yes, and each one develops its own character as well. I, mine, I, of the coronation topiary, I regard as being the coronation dowagers. Each one has its own character, really, as well.
0: Chris, how did you get into topiary then?
1: Uh, Really, I got into topiary because I got the job in the big topiary garden. That's uh, (laughs) my start. I'd I'd clipped hedges before. I'd I'd always wanted to be a gardener, so I left school as soon as I could at 16, got a job with the local parks department, uh, went to Kew Gardens in London, did the the diploma course, was self-employed for a year or two, and then... uh, I put in for the job at Levens, not thinking I get it, but enjoying uh, the area. I used to like rock climbing and potholing and all sorts of things in this area. I knew it very well. Um, But unfortunately, I got a responsible job and had no time for these silly hobbies after that. (laughs) So uh, my uh, training really was being thrown in at the deep end in uh, this garden. I'd clipped hedges, but uh, nothing in the topiary scale. But uh, of course, you start and uh, six months later, you're working at it. Constantly, you learn a bit, and I, I learn a bit more every year. I think I, I, it's something that, uh, with all gardening and topiary, we're hopefully we get better in time and know what we like as well and what we don't like. Uh, it's, uh, it's, yeah. I look forward to the clipping season every year, and then again, uh, I look forward to it finishing <laughs> because it's uh, for us particularly. It's a big job.
2: It was. I think it must have been you because I'm sure it was the head gardener about 20 hours ago at Levens, mm. when Peter and I came to visit. And I was wanting to know how to uh, restore what um, had gone wrong. And you taught me that the only way to do it was to go right back to the trunk and start again, which astonished Indeed. me.
1: Uh, we have done that in this garden use are very amenable to cutting hard back uh, if you need to a lot of the shapes we love though if they wobble or they're a bit overblown we like that in this garden because it's that added character and age but uh, sometimes if they're growing out over pathways or something we have to uh, cut them back and let people through um, or cut back hedges if they've gone too far you could live a thousand years so even the ones here that are 300 years old they can be cut hard back and we start again
2: yes well that's what we've done with the rooks in the chest set here because the castles had gone all a bit wobbly and if you got the wrong sort of snow you had to run out and brush it all off
1: Oh that's a, that's one of the worst things you can get in the garden isn't it a, a, a dollop of heavy snow we had some yeah. we don't often get it i love a bit of snow because it makes all the topi look so wonderful it hides all the any blemishes in the garden and uh, it's uh, dash out get all the christmas card photos for the next 10 years but too yes, much snow right. is a huge problem
0: i love this connection between the between Lucy and and Levens Hall itself. Tell me a little bit more about that, Diana. So did she grow up near there or was it just that she visited as a child? Um, when she she grew
2: up in, in Southport and then they went up to Arnside for mother's health. Uh, the father died when Lucy was uh, seven. And so mother was landed with these six children, having never wanted to have children. Uh, anyway, they went up to Arnside where the children went wild playing countryside and they obviously visited Levens
0: Hall. So you said Chris that some of your topiary goes back 300 years. Yes. What's the um... history of that topiary then? Who started it?
1: Well the the garden here was uh, laid out by a French uh, man, a fashionable garden designer of the time. The house was newly acquired by Colonel Graham back in the 1690s. Uh, and uh, 1694 was the year we've got uh, a list of uh, well Beaumont coming and uh, the garden starting and, uh, of course, the yews being planted. So 1694, that makes them 300-odd years old. Uh, and they've been clipped every year since. Uh, it never sort of got away. We can track it through old paintings and, and plans. And we can track the whole layout of the garden down because the owner was away when it was being laid, sorted out. And there was a letters twice a week from the agent saying what was dug out where, which walls were being built, what was being planted, what seeds to order. It's a fascinating uh, old archive of uh, those sorts of material. So it really is... The, part of, uh, of a long and continuous history, the little bit that I'm shuffling through at the moment, and uh, we'll be passing on in due course. And they are huge after 300 years. Perhaps they all started small as uh, tiny things, but uh, they're up to nine meters high, the biggest ones. and uh, um, it's a, a powerful job we have to do every year to get round and up to the tops of them all.
0: How many pieces do you have at Leven's Hall?
1: Uh, we often, Well, I usually say there's about 100. There is about 100. I've never counted them twice and got the same number. It depends what you count in and what you miss and what you count twice. But there's about 100 different pieces of topiary. Uh, and then what seems like miles of uh, hedges to cut after that. Uh, we normally start in September. We don't clip anything till uh, the end of the season. Um, in a way, it's because we don't want to trample all over the flower beds and uh, the other thing is we don't want to have to clip it twice if we clip it before no, no. September <laughs> we need to do it again and uh, we just don't yes, have the time. Exactly. But we do start in September and uh, we get a big hydro lift in to reach the highest parts now uh, and it takes a couple of months to do all the topiary and then it takes a couple of months longer to get around all the hedges in the garden. It's uh, uh, It's a big job. <laughs>
0: So did it become a fashion at some point in in British gardens to have topiary?
1: It was a huge fashion in the 1690s when uh, Levens was being set out. Everybody it, who was anybody and had obviously a very big house and a very staff and a big garden would have had a formal uh, garden, French Italian influence, this sort of very formal topiary garden. Huge craze for it. And then I think like most fashions, once everybody has it, nobody wants it anymore. And that It happens with clothes quickly and it happens with gardens a little bit slower, but by the 1700s coming along, everybody wanted the latest capability brown English parkland landscape. It was cheaper to look after for a start. You could just put grazing animals out there, but they they would dam the river, there would be lakes and trees and uh, no sign of uh, ornamental gardens. Uh, and I think that's what happened everywhere. Most people re- ripped out the uh, 17th century Tokery gardens like they had at Levens, and Levens didn't. It, it just dribbled on down through the years and the centuries, and uh, we're here today, thankfully, because nobody did away with it during those tricky years when uh, fashion was followed. The family had, I think, more big houses than they needed. So uh, they were busy following fashion at a bigger one, and Levens was the backwater. So thankfully, it survived and survived through to today.
0: Has Levens been owned by the same family for a long time, for many years?
1: I don't... The last time it was sold for money, uh, it only transferred like between relatives, but it was sold for money in the 1690s, and I always think, oh, well, £16,000, that's about what I could afford to pay for a house nowadays, which is what it was, but uh, that was a lot of money back then, and even the owner back then struggled to uh, pay it off in the end, but uh, I think that was the last time it it, it was sold, and it's not descended straight down a family line, it's Every so often, uh, a family line dies out and it goes up, sideways across, down. Uh, But it's basically stayed uh, without sale for uh, a long, long time now, over 300 years, as long as the garden's been there
0: so it's that extraordinary continuity isn't it in a way it just gets passed feel, on through. Uh,
1: that continuity where i'm sat now i'm in but uh, i'm in beaumont's house uh, guillaume beaumont was the french garden designer the first head gardener here uh, and they built a house for him in the topiary garden and i'm sat in that house and i'm the 10th head gardener since beaumont uh, to live here and to uh, bring my family up here and uh, work through the garden here and uh Very conveniently short commutities every day. (laughs) Open the door and I'm there.
0: So did everybody carry on doing it, basically? Did each generation that came along look at the topiary and design something of their style? So have you almost got different styles for different centuries from different gardeners in your garden? I think the topiary
1: itself, it's... um... Uh, the largest, the oldest pieces almost seem unchanging, as if they were once formal lollipops or cones or something like that that have just got bigger and bigger over the years. And the the individual trees take on their own character, and they are they're, they're like your your gardens, are peopled. Or and we feel that like with the the topiary itself, um, when all's quiet and there's no more flowers in the garden in the winter, or you go out on a a moonlit night, they are. Uh, they're inhabiting the garden, and I, I get this feeling of they're they've, they're living their lives on a much longer <laughs> life cycle than ourselves. Generations of humans have passed scurrying about at their feet, uh, and they're there year after year after year. Uh, uh, yeah, I do get a sense of um, that sometimes walking through the gardens if I if I think about it, and and feel what uh, try and feel empathy with the things themselves.
2: I absolutely sympathise with that. I do that more with the house because that has been here 900 years. So I um, mm-hmm. have great or think of the past a lot. But And the topiary only goes back to 1939. So mm-hmm. we're babies here.
0: I love the fact that you both. I get the sense, just love being surrounded by history. And that's what, in your case, the house, and in your case, the garden, Chris, give you, is a real sense of history, which is interesting because so much of often what we see sometimes about gardens is this kind of instant garden that can be created. And actually, your gardens are the opposite of that, really, aren't they? They're they're pieces of history. Yes, I think people have
2: forgotten to how to wait to have things grow and see if it's actually going to look right there. And if it's a, my mother always used to say, you usually end up by moving a plant three times, and the third time you get it in the right place. But now that doesn't happen so much. People have it all sort of planned. Mm, uh, this garden not, uh... certainly was never done on paper, and I doubt if leavens was originally done on paper.
1: Got plants. No, and, and and what we do now is uh, not done on paper. It's all inside my head because we've got that historic uh, setting, uh, the great reverence for the past. But actually, beneath it and amongst it uh, and around it, I think we, or oh, I try to grow for the eyes of today. And the eyes of today are different than eyes of previous generations i think people as you say they're into instant gratification we have a lot of visitors come around the gardens and they view the garden through the lenses of the cameras or for the phones nowadays Uh, And they're looking for they're looking for and I'm giving them photo opportunities. That's how we present the garden. And we're fortunate that the topiary fits in with that. It's a wonderful, very photogenic subject. But a lot of the plantings and the elements elsewhere in the garden uh, I've set up for maximum impact <laughs> so people can see them with a, their eyes of today. And it, I know because we've we've done and worked on uh 17th century garden and garden history and we've had uh, that sort of planting in the garden in places and people viewed plants in a very different way they would have lots of bare soil and people would have looked at the individual plants as unusual things from some other part of the planet that new to the country back in those days we don't quite have that now and we don't want to see we don't look at individual plants so much as, look no, as no. maybe the bigger picture uh, and, and now we're we're Changing the style of some of the plantings, a different direction, because the countryside is no longer natural. Even around here, it's it's just green fields. There's not a flower in sight because of farming practices. It's a very very green area, but uh, there's there's not much flowers. So the almost the wildflower effect is uh, no the one with the no one feels
2: now that one has to provide for the birds and the bees.
1: Mm. I'm a mad beekeeper, so it's particularly interesting to me. I get to plant half the plants because I think, oh, my bees all like that. <laughs> they might give me a little bit of honey.
2: And I actually find I find now with um, visitors, when if it's a sunny day and the whole garden is thrumming with bumblebees and honeybees, um, everyone has. It gives one slightly a feeling, a good feeling, because you feel the world is actually not so mad and bad as it sounds. It's still, the creatures are still there.
0: Yeah, and those wildflower meadows has become the thing, hasn't it? I'm sure there'll be loads of them at Chelsea, that sense again of wildflowers and meadows bringing in the things that we once would have seen naturally that we don't see, so now we bring them into our gardens. Mm.
1: And it's particularly interesting here at Levens because... uh, The whole point of that style of gardening, the very formal clipped garden that this would have started out as in the 1690s, it would have been that complete control of nature because outside the garden wall would have been a wild place with plenty of flowers and it would have been a very wild and natural thing, a scary thing perhaps, and inside the walls of the garden were where people would try and exert that order of things. And now it's almost the other way around outside is... uh, uh, very plain I was behind some people this week uh, and they were walking down this place where we just hadn't mown the grass and there was flowers growing it was lovely and they were just commenting how nice that particular bit was and uh, how lovely so yeah it's nice to see nature
2: this garden is much wilder now than it ever was wild cow parsley features in the flower beds and And we've made quite a lot of meadow space because we suddenly discovered we've got marsh orchids growing. So that made a whole new meadow. People are appreciating the wildness coming back into gardens again Mm. because, as you say, it's not outside.
1: Which is a marvellous thing for me because we've <laughs> we got a lot of work and we can't do it all And uh, you say this place is tidy, but really we know that we can't get on top of all of it So uh, there's plenty of nature around the edges <laughs> We've got tidy bits in the middle, but uh, nature around the edges
2: Absolutely right Cut the edges of your flower beds immaculately And it doesn't matter what's happening in the middle <laughs> <laughs> My mother-in-law's philosophy was that you should never win in the garden, so it should never be absolutely immaculate.
0: If you're thinking maybe you could start with a small yew bush and do some topiary, then take a look at the website, ourplantstories.com where there are lots of pictures to give you inspiration and I asked Chris Crowder to give us the how-to to get us started.
1: I would suggest that uh, you start small. That's what we both discussed. Don't spend a lot of money and buy somebody else's piece of topiary. (laughs) Buy a small yew bush and get going with that. Uh, So when I say small, like uh, 30 centimetres... 50 centimetres, little hedging plant, anything, a little yew tree in a pot, probably yew rather than box currently because a box is uh, problems. So yew grows very well as topiary. It's naturally a plant that grows in uh, in the shade of woodland. So it's got little evergreen leaves. It's the perfect English topiary plant. What we normally do is plant them. You're only going to plant one of these plants once. So make sure the soil is good, or if it's not good, make sure you've put some good compost in there. Uh, So we plant them and we leave them for a year. (laughs) And the first year is just the roots growing. They get established. They like the spot. The second year, we'll go at that little topiary plant with some secateurs, uh, and usually we have to cut about uh, a third, half of it away, because what we're looking for is one central leader. So we own, if we've got one piece of topiary, we don't want a lot of yew bushes in there. We just want one plant, and then we cut, after a year, we cut it to one central leader, because we want one trunk, like a tree trunk, in the middle to support whatever shape we choose for it, if if that's the sort of direction we're going. Um, and then after that, we generally clip them as a cone. So they get bigger and bigger over a few years. Each year, we'll clip it as a cone, but let it go bigger. Uh, and we're watching to keep that single uh, leader, that single uh, shoot coming out the top, because that on which everything will hang later. And then uh, when we've had it a year or two, we've got a nice cone growing, that's when we can go at it with a bit of inspiration. And after a few years, of course, you'll have had time for inspiration to land. That cone can stay at the bottom. You can carry on growing up. We can add tiers, circles. We can make the cone into a cube or a drum shape. We can clean off bits bits of the trunk. We can uh, generally work from that start into uh, whatever takes our fancy for the next uh, few decades, I suppose. So it's a piece of work in progress at that stage. But that's how I'd start. One tiny little yew tree or small yew tree, happily established and then work from there. Yeah.
0: And are they happy anywhere? I mean, do they like sun? Do they like shade? Do you need a lot of water in that first year? Any top tips for making it happy?
1: Yew uh, trees don't like a lot of water, the sogginess at the roots. they uh, That's one of the things they don't like. Uh, obviously, they like enough water, so they don't die. But uh, generally, if you plant them, plant them in a wet, Place they'll uh, go orange and uh, not like it at all. So not a wet place. Yews actually grow very well in the shade, but if you're going to make topiary out of it, it wants really wants sun all the way around it. Uh, It'll be creating shade of its own, so uh, it needs to be in a a fairly open situation. That was about it. And then just
0: have patience, basically. That's it.
1: Patience, that patience and continuity that's uh, so lacking. The faster life becomes, and the more people move about. Uh, that more difficult perhaps it is to be established long enough anywhere to feel a connection with a, a sense of connection with a place and then the idea that you can actually be there the next year to look after this thing and grow it into the next thing. It's 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 that thought that you're going to be somewhere the following year. And when I first started at 11th, I didn't plant pieces of tapio. I was too busy rushing around doing the garden and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, but after a while, I felt that I was going to be here for a little while longer. And, it, and uh, I had the time, uh, years-wise, to uh, start something and finish it or, or work it on so somebody else takes it on after me that continuity again it's never finished <laughs> <laughs> no that's true <laughs> somebody else's uh, problem or joy yeah, after <laughs> us
0: i realized i hadn't asked chris could you grow it in a pot and as i sat here thinking about the way we live our lives now often moving around it seemed an important question so i phoned him and caught him just before he was setting off around the garden with an american tour party lucky them The good news is, he said you could start this off in a pot and it'll be okay for three to five years though you will have to keep repotting it as it grows and eventually, after that period, the pot would be just too big to move. You could grow it in your garden and if you move house after about ten years, take your topiary with you though you might need quite a lot of friends to help you with digging it up and moving it with the root ball. After that, well, as Chris put it, The topiary becomes not part of your story, but a part of the house's story, which I think's rather lovely. If you have a plant story that you'd like me to follow up, then you can email me, sally at ourplantstories.com. Do take a look at the episode page to find out when and how you can visit both Diana's garden at the manor in Hemover Grey in Huntington and Levens Hall in Cumbria. Our Plant Stories is presented and produced by me, Sally Flatman.